Pastora Lauren. Amen. Didn't she do great last week? Come on. We believe in women preachers around here. They were the first ones at the tomb. Amen. At that empty tomb preaching the gospel, and they've been preaching ever since. So if Jesus had his first preachers be women, why can't we have preachers that are women in this church? Amen. Praise God. Let's open up our Bibles to John 3.16. Rona tried to hold me down, but I'm back, y'all. I got my voice. Hallelujah. It came and attacked me. Loose me in the name of Jesus. I heard like a battle going on. I'm just kidding, but it felt bad, man. I just, I hate Rona. Does anybody else hate Rona? Amen. I hate it in Jesus' name. I want to cash it out, but that is no excuse for tyranny in our nation. Amen. I mean, we know how to do what's right. I believe most people know when you don't feel well, you stay home, you don't spread it. As I've said before, I've been a hand sanitizer before it was mandated. Was anybody else a hand sanitizer before all of this? I've always, oh, like four, four or five of you. Okay. Maybe that's why we have so many problems. Maybe that's why we have so many problems right now. Y'all needed an epidemic to learn to sanitize. But I've been having hand sanity, uh, hand sanity. Uh, that's a funny word. I've been having hand sanitizer in my car since I first started ministry because I was like, man, I'll touch and hug every single one of you, but I'm not putting those hands back in my mouth, rubbing it on my face. I'm cleaning all that you had on you off of me before I touch me again. And I know that doesn't, I know it's like, oh, pastor, you being rude now. No, but listen, it was just, it, it, it didn't matter who it was. I would touch and hug every single person. That's just who I am. But when I would get done, I would just do a little bit of this. Now, I'm not a weirdo. I'm really not. I'm not a germaphobe. It's just that was it. That's where it stopped. I didn't spray myself down. I wouldn't spray down my car, but I always use hand sanitizer. So I'm glad that we have wisdom to understand how to handle an epidemic or now what they say is going to be endemic, you know, something that we have to get used to as the flu. And so instead of just freaking out about it and having tyranny, let's just all do what's right. Amen. And so whenever COVID season comes around, flu season comes around, whenever these things come around, we're wise, we're going to stay home, we're going to quarantine. I trust the tests. I don't think there's anything, you know, like uh, conspiratorial about I got my test, I got my negative one, and then I'm never, I've never been anti-vaccine. I'm just not getting a vaccine because I don't need it. I'm strong like bull. Are you listening to me? <laughs> My, my, you know, it was like, a, it was like a little hand, it was like a little, what would you call it, arm wrestling match for a little bit, Rona, and then me, and then Rona, but the, the antibodies in me came out strong, I'm a champion, no, but there was a minute or two when it was hurting my throat, I'm about ready to call uncle, and go to the hospital and get some type of antibodies, but my antibodies did their job, amen, and that's why I always say to people, man, hey, if, you know, just for anything, flu kind of vaccine, you know, whatever, if your antibodies aren't strong or you have preconditions, let that be between you and the Lord, you know, that's your decision. But for us uh, in my house, we're strong. We made it all through. So thank you for your prayers. I'm ready to get to preaching. Y'all ready? Amen. Let's go to John 3, 16. Somebody say the good news and the bad news. See, you're going to find both today in this famous passage. We've been going through the book of John verse by verse, and I'm so excited that you're here. I hope you're not getting bored with this book. Of course, it's the Bible. It's the Word of God. It should always motivate us to come to church ready to learn. And then as you go home and study, you should be able to see the truths that I'm unpacking here in your own studies and then go deeper. I do not pretend that in the next 45 minutes to an hour, I can go as deep as this deserves. I can't do it. I mean, each one 
one of these verses, especially in John, the chapter uh, 3, we could be here for weeks or months just in one verse. How many know that? So that's where you got to take it back home, and you have to study to show yourself approved, someone that is a workman unto the Lord, not ashamed, because there's a lot of depth in here. But what I want to do now is start right at 16, because we've gone through verses 1 through 15 multiple times, and so now we're going to go right to 16, all the way to 21, and I want you to see that there is good news and there is bad news. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How many have heard that before? Isn't that an amazing passage of scripture? Did you already hear some good news in there? Did you hear some good news? Amen. But did you hear some bad news? There is, you know, some bad news. That is, if you do not believe, you will perish. It's the opposite of the good news. The good news is whoever believes in Jesus will not perish. But then you're supposed to understand that, man, if someone doesn't believe, they will perish. Now, don't just take my word for it. Let's keep reading. You'll see now, and I believe this is Jesus talking. Some people's Bibles do not have this in red letters. I got to talk to these publishers. This should be red letters right here. Now, we don't know exactly where Jesus' words start and stop in three and where John, the narrator, the gospel writer, comes back in. And we don't have quotations in the Greek, Greek, so the scholars do their best. But I think these are the words of Jesus to 22. Does anybody else think Jesus is still talking here? He was the one talking in the verse before we all agree on. So I just want you to see this. Jesus now in verse 17 is going to clarify verse 16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Somebody say, that's good news. Amen. So that's clearly what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come to condemn us. Jesus did not come to place a sentence of judgment upon the world. The Bible clearly says he came to save. That's actually in his name, Yahshua. It means Yahweh saves. El Sabador in Spanish, Espanol. See? He is our Savior. He came to save us. That's the good news. Now look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. More good news. But now watch how he clarifies the bad news. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. We receive the good news with the bad news. Now look at verse 19. This is the judgment. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. There's more of that bad news. Everyone who does evil hates the light. That's the bad news, and that's true. How many know that's true? That cockroaches don't like the light either, right? And the devil don't like the light. And guess what? Sinners don't like the light, so don't be a sinner. Don't be a sinner. Be a saint. Now watch this right here. It says everyone who does what is evil hates the light. And that's still true after 2,000 years, and it's going to continue to be true. And will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. That is the bad news. People do not want to get around you. They don't want to get around church. They don't want to get around the Bible. They don't want to hear the singing of the worship songs. They want to stay as far as they can away from the light because they know it's going to expose what's going on in their heart. Now, verse 21 gets back to the good news. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. How many know you're not afraid of the light? 
As a Christian, you love the light. It, it's good for you so that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And so that's why we as Christians, we love coming to church. We love reading the scriptures. We love the sound of worship because all of these things that, that illuminate the soul are a blessing to us. And the truth of God only helps us. It never hurts us. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So there's the good news and the bad news. And sadly, so many people now in this culture, all they want to hear is the good news. If you were to go around and ask people right now, do you believe God loves you? What would most of them say? They would say, I believe God loves me. They would say that. And then if we ask them, do you love God? Do you have an affection towards God? What would most of them say back? They would say, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I love my creator. I'm glad that I have a, a chance to live. They're appreciative for their life. They'll look at all the, you know, the good things that they have. Most people are still in that mindset. I know we talk a lot about atheism here and those who disbelieve in God, but that is very a small minority of our population. Most of our population still understands that there is a creator, they're not it, and that that creator has done good things in their life and that they're hoping for the best when they meet that creator. And even still to this day, if you were to talk to most people and say, do you believe in Jesus? They would give some kind of a positive response. Now, sadly, that number of unbelief has been ticking upwards. More unbelievers seem to be coming on the scene than true believers. But they still, in, in our statistics, say about 70% would consider the Christian message to be what they believe. So once again, just think about your coworker tomorrow. You know, just think about somebody you're going to be sitting next to on the bus. If you were to ask them, hey, do you, uh, you believe God loves you? They would say, yeah, I believe God loves me. Do you believe in some way you love God back? Yeah, I'm, I'm appreciative for what I have. Then if you were to ask them, hey, do you believe in Jesus? They would say, yeah, I, th I think Jesus existed. I think he did good things. I think we should live more like Jesus. And all of my years, like I said, 20 plus years, I still see the majority of people are there. The problem is, is they're not believing in the right Jesus, and they're not believing in that Jesus correctly. And so what we do so often in, in, this, in this culture is we feed to them. When I say we, I'm talking about Christians because we don't like confrontation. What we generally do is just feed back to them things that already they believe and reaffirm to them their shallow make-believe. Because how many know you can have belief and believe in things, but also you can be a make-believer? Okay, so I mean, you can believe in something, but you can also make believe in something. And really, um, there's a big difference in there. I have faith in my wife that she is going to continue to love me and care for me and do great things for me. However, I dated some people before my wife that I was a make-believer in, in what they would do for me, okay? And they turned out not so well. Seriously, they cheated on me, okay? But, but I, I ignored all of the signs because I was a make-believer. I just, I just played make-believe with this person. Anybody else ever been in a make-believe relationship? You tried so hard to believe it was really going to be better, but it was just make-believe. And we do this all the time. We do this all, our, all the time. Some of you playing make-believe with your diet right now, you know? And I've been there. I'm telling you. We, we had all of these New Year's resolutions. We're going to do this and do that. I talked to Jason, one of our uh, men of God here, man, is a trainer. I, I, I had to put my word on the line. I said, brother, you need to come train me, my wife and I, you know, X, Y, and Z. Now he's got to see if I'm a make-believer or a believer. Right now... <laughs> 
<laughs> right now he's probably testing my, my spirit to see which one I am. But I'm, I already told my wife. I went home and I said, honey, get ready. We're going to have a trainer come. We're going to learn how to get back in shape without going to the gym because I'm done just with the gym. Not just with the mask mandates and all that, but I have a big backyard. I want to use that for the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Just do stuff outside. Chop some wood, you know, do some pull-ups on tree branches. Amen. It's going to be, it's going to be exciting. What's that? Yeah, organic, exactly, exactly, man. I'll grow a beard and all types of stuff. So when we look at the, the culture, you know, they, they really are playing make-believe. And so now you have to ask yourself a question. Are you going to preach to them another kind of message, another gospel, and reinforce to them their false beliefs? Or are you going to preach to them in love, with compassion, the true gospel that's actually going to confront those false beliefs, put you into a confrontational situation, and possibly cost you friendships, relationships, and all kinds of other uh, things that you might value, and they, and they may throw off and say, I don't want you in my life anymore. I don't want to be around you anymore. Are you willing to do that? Because that's what it's going to take. I remember one time I was getting my hair cut, and I don't really encourage you to do what I did because it, it, uh, it almost cost me my ears. She almost cut off my ears. But my, my mom will tell you the story. I was getting my hair cut, and I was talking to a woman about Jesus, and she was saying all the right stuff we just talked about. She believed in Jesus. She knew about Jesus. She loved that Jesus and all that. But then I asked her, had she been born again? And then she said, no, I'm a Catholic. And I said, oh, I feel sorry for you. That used to be one of the first things, I know I'm just being honest with you, that used to be one of the first things I would say to anybody who said in response to me, if I had asked them if they had been born again, if they said they were Catholic, because you know that was a lot of the comebacks from those folks, my response used to be, I feel sorry for you. So I, I pitied her while she was cutting my hair. And my mom said, because she was there, that she got very aggressive in hair cutting at that moment. And my mom said, I thought she was going to cut your ears off. That's what my mom said. And I said, no, I got angels camping about me. Mom, she can't do that to me. But uh, I began to have like a very serious argument with her because in, in her mind, she thought her Catholic belief, this belief that she had established throughout her childhood, probably being confirmed and baptized and did all of the good things of Catholic school. She had uh, gotten to the understanding that that's what salvation was. She had been convinced that that's what it was. But that's not what Jesus taught in John chapter 3. That's not what he said salvation was. Salvation to Nicodemus had to get more personal and more specific and more direct than just believing in some vague Messiah out there. If you'd have asked Nicodemus in that conversation, Nicodemus, do you believe in the Messiah? He would have said, absolutely, I believe in the Messiah. I'm waiting for the Messiah. If you would have asked Nicodemus, do you believe the Messiah is going to bring a new covenant, a new way of doing things for the Jewish people? He would have said, of course, that's what we're waiting for. Those are those prophecies. But then Jesus had to get very specific. Nicodemus, do you believe I am that Messiah? Do you believe that you need to be born again to come into that covenant, that's when things got really confused and, and confrontational with John, uh, with uh, Nicodemus here. Now, I believe eventually Nicodemus receives Jesus Christ, but you see, that's what you have to be willing to do. You have to go beyond just people's surface level understanding of God and go to really where it counts. You look back here at John three sixteen. it says, God so loved the world. We could stay all day just on that passage. God loves us. Somebody say, Jesus loves me.
God loves us. The Father loves us. The Son loves us. The Holy Spirit loves us. We were created for a loving relationship. I also feel sorry for churches or different uh, Christian backgrounds that really emphasize the wrath of God without emphasizing the love of God. First and foremost, God is not wrath. God is love. And so he loves us. He cares about us. And we see that he'll give us the best of what he has. He gave us his son. When you study out the scriptures, and I know many of you have been here with me since John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We see that the Word, the Son, is equal with the Father, and yet He serves, and He, the Son, loves the Father and is willing to come to bring glory to the Father for our salvation, to come on this earth. What a great love the Son must have to obey the Father in such a way. What love the Son must have for us to lay down his life for us. As we'll learn later in the book of John, he will wash their feet and he'll say, you know what? I don't just call you servants. I call you my friend. I think about the second largest religion in the world. Islam is based on a master-servant relationship. That word Islam literally means to submit. And here Christianity, like always, does it better because it's the truth. Jesus says, you are not just my servants. You are my friends. And then he goes on to say, no one has a greater love for their friends than the one who lays down their life for their friends. And Jesus says, that's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. He talked about him being the good shepherd. Psalm 23 talks about David having a shepherd, and it's Yahweh. And Jesus comes specifically and says, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. The Holy Spirit is discussed in the chapters that we'll get to, that he comes to live and dwell in us, that he comes to be where we are so that we can have the very presence of God in the Old Testament known as the Shekinah or the Shekinah, as they would pronounce it in the Hebrew tongue. The, the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God would come upon priests in the temple at these specific times, you know, fire by night, cloud by day. But what we're going to learn about because of the fire Father's great love of sending the Son, that the Father and Son have such a great love that they send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives in us and dwells in us. What great love God must have for us. God so loved the world. He loved us even in our own wickedness. He loved us in our own sin. The world is not without God's love today. We're looking at possibly a conflict with Russia and, and the Ukraine. We need to pray for that. We, we look at the wars and rumors of wars in all these other nations around us right now. North Korea always poised and ready to do something uh, crazy because of their lunatic leadership. We look at all of the different uh, things going on in Latin America, the instability and the unrest. We look at what's happening here in America. Yet, thanks once again to Black Lives Matter, 2021 has had an increase of murders and the highest rate among African Americans. Thank you, Black Lives Matter. Not by dismantling the police, by taking away the true uh, family, breaking it down. They have proven themselves to be a horrible movement for the African-American community. And the church and the black community needs to rise back up again and bring forth the love and truth of God that will change the world we live in. Amen? That's the solution. 
Let's go to the streets and protest for fathers to be fathers again, mothers to be mothers again, and for children to honor and love their parents, and for educators and police, and for those in government to work with morals and integrity in communities. And not only just there, we see all of the debauchery in all of our communities, the sin, the the rape, the murder. Yet God still loves us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we got our act together. He didn't look at the west side and say, well, because you guys got your act together, now I'm going to send my son to die for you. He didn't look at Boys Town and say, well, now that you figured it out and what a, a plug and a socket is made for, for electricity, now that you've applied that to your sexuality for reproduction, you figured it out, Boys Town, I will now send my son. He didn't do it that way. He didn't say, okay, now that all of you oppressors have figured it out, I'm going to now send my son. No, the Bible says that Jesus came to a world of sin and of sinners. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And while we were in that sinful state, God dies for us. Jesus, the Son of God, dies for us. Now, some people think, well, how can God die? So we have to make sure we clarify that. We don't mean that Jesus, the Son, the eternal Son who existed before his incarnation, that died. You can't destroy God. God is eternal and everlasting. Can I hear an amen? But he took on flesh, and as the God-man, he experienced what it was like for that flesh to die. So that in that sense, he died. Now guess what? We are not eternal in the past, but we will now be eternal in the future. When you die, you actually don't stop existing, nor is your spiritual nature dissolved. How many believe you live after your body dies? So you will experience death as well, but the you of your soul from this point forward will not be extinguished. It will continue on. And so Jesus, in a similar way, has a spiritual life that experiences death, and at that death, he then, the Bible says, descends into Sheol. He preaches to those who had rejected the uh, prophets and the words of the Old Testament, and then he brings out those who had accepted the words of the prophets, and he brings them into his father's presence, because remember, he had said to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're what? born again, and being born again was not possible until Jesus Christ's death. All of those sacrifices and all of those things that they were doing were foreshadows, so they had to wait for Jesus to bring them, not just in paradise where they were, what was known as Abraham's bosom, but to bring them directly into the presence of God. How many are glad that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Amen. And so he loves us. He gives his son for us. And now, where, where are we in this? We have to believe. We have to decide to trust in Jesus Christ. We have to take God at his word. This is the human volition now at work. Some people have taught that only God picks those who will believe. And then he regenerates them. This may sound strange to you, but it's actually the belief of Calvinism. And I said I would talk about it at some point, so this would be a good time to do it. Started by John Calvin during the Protestant Reformation. 
they went back to the teachings of Augustine in the 300s, and they began to think that there was a missing truth of Christianity. And that missing truth that had been really discovered by Augustine up until that point, for 300 years of church history, no one thought about destiny, fate, or predestination this way except the heretics that were being renounced all of the time. So they thought that Augustine had did a good job to somehow explain how some go to heaven and some go to hell. And so the people would come to John Calvin and say a scripture just like this, Jacob Arminius, whose side we are on in this church, if you're picking sides, and that way we are Arminians. Not like we're from Armenia, but we are Arminians from Jacob Arminius. We are not Calvinists like John Calvin. Does everybody understand there's two folks that we're taking our names after? And then more specifically, we are Wesleyan after John Wesley, who went into more detail. And then we are Pentecostal, amen, going back to Pentecost. But when they wanted to reform the church, they did so many good things. The solas of the church, sola fidea, means to be only by faith. Sola de gloria, only for the glory of God. Sola scriptura. These are Latin phrases that describe how the Roman Catholic church had gone astray. Well, one of the things they thought Rome had had wrong that we would actually agree with Rome on, they thought Rome had it wrong when it came to the volition of the will. They taught that for someone to be saved, they first had to be born again. So they actually look at this scripture, and they say that only those that the Father chooses through the Son will have the Holy Spirit regenerate them. And then after being regenerated, now they'll say, I believe in Jesus. In other words, a person who is unregenerated can never say, I believe in Jesus. So unless you experience John chapter 3, verse 3, they would say you could never experience John chapter 3, verse 16. They put the cart before the horse. When you read this passage of Scripture, was there anything that made you think that God made you a born-again creation without you making a decision? No, there was nothing here like that. Everything is presupposing that Nicodemus has a decision to make. Am I not telling the truth here? Anybody else read this with me, right? And then when we get to John 3, 16, does it not say that whoever believes or the believing ones are the ones who not, will not perish? Does it say that God does something to make them believe? No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, go to the end of the book of John. Go to the book of John, chapter 21. John explains why he wrote this book. That, that those that he wrote these testimonies that believing they may have eternal life. Go to John chapter 20 where he explains why I wrote you these things. John chapter 20, look at verse 31. But these are written. Can I get some water, please? Rona's trying to fight me right now. Even though, even though I'm cleared of her, she left a little bit behind, I guess. Thank you, man of God. Come on, somebody say Satanas. Say, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Look at John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written. What is written? The signs, the seven signs of John. The miracles of Jesus. There are seven main miracles in the gospel of John. We've talked about that. And these miracles, these signs were written so that you may what? So that you may what? So that you may believe. I wish I had half a church that didn't battle Rona last week like me. Come on, I'm, I'm saying it better than you are right now. He says, but these things are written that you may what? Thank you. That you may believe 
that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, somebody say believing, you may have what? Life in his name according to John. What comes first, believing or life? Believing comes first. John Calvin was wrong in the order salutis, another Latin phrase, the order of salvation. He was incorrect. We do not get made alive first to believe. We believe first so we can be given life. It gets a little bit more complicated for them in that, but that's enough ammunition to whoop them on Facebook in Jesus' name. Amen. Half kid right there. Just be ready when you face them because they're pretty strong in the word too. We love them as brothers and sisters. We stand with them and say, we both believe Rome is the whore of Babylon and we are out of there in Jesus' name. We're glad to be out of there. But listen, I am not here to make this a doctrinal, uh, debatable issue. I just want you to see how clear this is to what your responsibility is. You have an ability to respond. You are responsible. Going back to the notes, good sir, please, in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, this is what he does. He gives his one and only son that whoever believes, that's what you do, in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In this debate, the Calvinist says the energy is all on God. It is monogism, monosynergy, monoenergy. It is all from God, monoenergy, monergism. We say it is synergism. The energy is cinnamon. It's in the, the, the working of two or more. So they believe in monergism. We believe in synergism. Why is that? Because of a scripture just like this. Now, some people might say, well, are Joe, are you participating in your salvation? Because you have now done something. Can you now violate Romans or Ephesians that says that you're saved by grace and only by faith? No, no, no. Because we're not attributing the act of believing as an act of the law or keeping of the law. Can I hear an amen? The Bible is very clear that believing, having faith is not a work. Go with me to Romans chapter 4. Because then what they'll say to you is, why do you go to heaven and someone goes to hell? What they'll want you to say is that I did something. I, I believed. And then they'll say, so you did a work that your sinner friend didn't. Therefore, on judgment day, you'll have something to boast about that you did that your friend didn't. But that's incorrect. Where is their error in thinking? Romans chapter 4 verse 1. Their error in thinking is that me believing is attributed as a work. The Bible is very clear that us believing in that which God has given us to believe is not a work. Look at it in Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. Okay? So they're on to something that the Roman Catholic Church was boasting in a lot of works. But they wanted to put faith on the side of works. They said, hey, there's one last work that we want to make sure we get rid of. And that's you believing. Not just the work of baptism. Not just the work of communion. Not just the work of all the other sacraments and confession. We want to put one more work on the side of its only God. Only God, and that is also your faith. But notice here, what you're going to see is the juxtaposition. 
the two sides of the, of the matter, in other words. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham what? Abraham believed God, and it, what is the it referring to, the belief in God, was credited to him as righteousness. So the Bible is very clear that the act of faith is not a work. Paul goes on, verse 4, now to the one who works. Is faith going to be on that side of work? Let's keep going. It's not. Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but what? Trust God, which is one of the best definitions for faith. True faith is trust. It's not make-believe. But trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith. Is it God's faith? No, it says their faith is credited as what? Righteousness. So will we on judgment day get credit for a work? No. But will we get credited for faith? Yes. Now take it up with God if you don't like that. So they have to take their Calvinistic hands off faith and stop pushing it towards the side of works. It is clearly not, according to Scripture, a work. But it is something you do. It is something you choose. It is something that you have to put in energy towards. So it is not only God who determines who goes to heaven or hell. Go back to John 3.16, please. Because now that they've put you on the ropes, well, what's the difference between you going to heaven and your friend going to hell? They want you to say, I did a work. Now you've explained it to them. Say, no, I have not done a work, but I believed and my friend did not believe. Is that not exactly what the scripture says? Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Moving on to verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. And then now what do we say back to them? to place them on the theological ropes of the debate. Why did God so love the world to damn so many of them to hell without their choice? What kind of love is that? He creates all of these people, as even John Calvin admitted, they are doomed from the womb because he did not choose them beforehand to be regenerated as to believe, to receive life, they are now hopelessly in this world created for one purpose only, to be in hell for eternity. How can that be the God of love that we just read about? They'll then try to take you to Romans, and they'll say, well, doesn't God allow um, his creation to be objects of wrath and others for objects of glory? And this is true, but once again, Who is the one that determines whether they're objects of wrath or objects of God's glory? John 3.16 and other scriptures and even Romans tells us clearly it is the person making those decisions. In other words, because God knew Pharaoh would not believe, 
God hardened Pharaoh's heart and punished him for all the things that he would then do. But it was first and foremost Pharaoh's decision to reject the God of Israel. Is everybody listening to me? So will God in his foreknowledge, in his predestination, allow sinners to live and be used for his glory and be objects of his wrath to display his great power? Absolutely. But was it in his predestination... The very ones who would believe or not believe, was that left to his predestination? No, what precedes predestination in Romans is God's foreknowledge. Those he foreknows, he predestines. Foreknowledge has to do with God understanding the decisions that we would make ahead of time. In other words, he's the master chess player. He'll let you make all the moves you want, but he'll still whoop your butt in the end. Are you listening to me? And so he knows what sinners will do, sinners like Joseph's brothers, but he'll use Joseph's sinful brothers to bring Joseph to, uh, from the pit to Potiphar to prison to Pharaoh in the palace. Amen? For what they meant for evil, God meant for good. God is able to use the wickedness that humans have decided to do for his glory. So here are your choices. And I love what John Wesley said. Whatever it means, it can't mean what you're saying, Calvinist, because God becomes a monster. Here are your choices. God in his sovereignty allows sinners to make choices that are against his will, but he uses it for his good. And those that he see choose him, he predestines them all the way from here to glory, and all things will then work for their good according to his purpose. That's how you can see it on one side. In other words, God is in control and allowing people at the same time to have their own decisions, or God is the reason why there's a devil. God is the reason why people go to hell. God is the reason why all the wickedness is here. In other words, he set the whole place on fire just to put it out. He's the arsonist. And that's why John Wesley said, whatever these scriptures mean, dear Calvinists, they don't mean what you think they mean. Because otherwise, God would be worse than the devil because he's the one that created him from the very purpose to be deceived, to deceive others, and to damn them all to hell. That was God's first and foremost choice. What we say is that God created out of love, free will creatures. And now he does know what free will creatures will do. And so just like there is just a hard line that we all have to rest on, the hard line that we all have to rest on, in this situation is it was God's choice to create knowing some would reject him and go to hell. That is true. But what we will not do is say it was God's choice to create who individually would go to hell. Does everybody see the difference? Half of you? Okay, I'm going to say it again. God had a choice to create. How many say that's God's choice? That's God's choice. When he created, he knew who would choose him, who would not choose him? That is true. And now the consequences will play out. That is God's choice. But that is different from saying God chose who would go to heaven and hell. Do you see that? That is a difference. One side, God is saying, I will create you with a free will that I will not even violate. 
So if you go to hell, it's because you said to me, God is speaking here, I'm speaking on behalf of God. If someone goes to hell, it's because they said to God, not your will, but my will be done. And if they go to heaven, it's because they said to God, not my will, but your will be done. But it was the determiner of the will that chose whose will would be done. Does everybody get that? That's a big difference, isn't it? Because if we paint God in the Calvinist lens, we make him out to be, just like John Wesley said, worse than the devil. Because now he's responsible for the devil. He's responsible for everyone going to hell. Where we believe the responsibility is with the creatures he's created. And sometimes people say to me, well, I don't like those choices. Okay, pastor, uh, we agree the Calvinist is wrong. You know, I've talked to people and they've said this to me as non-believers. They say, I agree with you, the Calvinist is wrong. You've won up them, you've convinced me. They're not looking at the scripture, they're just looking at it philosophically. You've convinced me it's a better system, even though we know it's biblically true, right? But philosophically, the unbeliever has said to me, you have convinced me it's a better system, better than the Calvinist. I get it. But still, I don't like that I was made and now put into a place where I have to make this choice. Now, this is where I say to them, you're not God. Get over it. Because at this point, their pity patty party doesn't change anything. The only way out is for them to deny their own existence. Well, I don't exist. Well, then who's the one that just told me I don't exist? Right? So the one saying he doesn't exist is the one that is, you know, the one that's existing telling me they don't exist. Come on, think about it. So it will make your head hurt. But this is the thing we all know. You exist right now. And you're not your creator. You're not your own creator. You're not your own mom, in other words. So now that you're here, you have to make a choice because no one on Judgment Day will get God's pity by trying to argue with him going, well, you, you know, you made this so we either chose you or went to hell. I didn't like those options, so I'm angry. I just need you to convince me it's the right thing now. Otherwise, I, you know, I don't want to be here. Listen to me. God does not owe us that. The Bible says every mouth will be shut in his presence. So this is what I say to everyone here that's dealing with the hard fact of existence. You are existing. You know you didn't create yourself. And you see how marvelous the universe is, the beauty of the stars in the sky. You see how fearfully and wonderfully made human beings are. This cannot just be by chance. This cannot just be by accident. We have intelligence to be able to sit and to design and to make art and to do mathematics. All of these things cannot have just come by accident. And so now what I say is choose to believe in the God of love because that's why he made you was for love. For a person now to hear this and to reject this, they deserve the hell that they will have. In other words, whenever we see this play out on Judgment Day and we see people going to perish, people going to hell, we see them in condemnation, whether they be our own children, our parents, our loved ones, the ones that we were married to, it doesn't matter whoever it is, on that day when judgment is dealt out, we will all say God is good. We will say, God, you were good to my family, but they chose to not have you. You're only giving them what their choice desires and demands. 
a place without you. And that's what hell is. We'll all say, good, you are good, God. Because God, your rules were applied equally, fairly to everyone. And then for those of us who are there, receiving heaven as a reward to then come rule and reign on the earth because I believe heaven is temporary but the heaven, in, uh, the heaven coming to earth is for eternity. Read the book of Revelation. We end not in heaven but on earth where we were first meant to be, uh, be living. I believe when you and I are there, we will see the glories of God's love and kindness for us because we'll be thankful he didn't make robots and he didn't force the choice on us. And so all those who are in hell have made their choice, but now we get to be with our God forever. Do you think anyone on that day will boast in the faith that they had? No, they will all give glory to God. All of us on that day will not try to pretend like we're so much better than the unbeliever. We'll all simply say, our hearts burned within us. Christ's love filled the vacuum of our souls. Jesus taught me the truth that set me free. We'll all give him the glory forever and ever and ever. And we will proclaim his great love that he had for us because we will see that it was his love that ultimately convinced us of all of these things that we believed. And so an encouragement to you here, do not forget the bad news with the good news because I fear for the lost that if we just reiterate to them a superficial knowledge of God, we're taking away the truth that will set them free. And if we allow the Calvinists to have the main voice, and thank God they don't have the main voice in our culture. Most people don't think it's Calvinist. But if we allow them to have the main voice of the gospel, we have taken away even human responsibility. In other, in other words, I have met people who have not necessarily gone to a Calvinist church but already think this to themselves. Well, if God wanted me to believe, then he would just make me believe. Well, if God wanted me to be a Christian, then he would just make me a Christian. And so whenever he wants to do what he wants to do, then he'll do it. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus taught. He said, if you seek, you shall find. If you knock, the door will be answered. If you ask, you will receive. You have to be a God seeker. You have to choose to not be deceived by a world that wants you to fight for what comes out of the ground as gold or what we chop up and make as paper dollars. You have to awaken, get out of the matrix, as it were, to see there's more instead of being pacified by your temporary pleasures, to seek, to, to yearn. The Bible says that our souls, if we're quiet enough from the headphones to the YouTube, to the, to the people around us, if we'll quiet our souls, we'll see that deep is calling out to deep. That we are longing for something more than what we see in this world, what, what we've heard from every poet, from every movie, even as I mentioned, The Matrix, all of it is screaming that we need someone to fill the whole of our soul. And God is there in love, waiting for us, drawing us. Go to Romans chapter 1 quickly in closing, please. Romans chapter 1 says that even those who have not heard the gospel still have a chance to reach out to the God that they know made them. Looking at Romans chapter 1 verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and all the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
Doesn't that sound just like what Jesus said? Those who do not like the light, they stay away from the light because their deeds are evil. Those who are doing the things of the light, they keep running towards the light. Our missionaries have gone to distant lands, whether it was in Asia, in Latin America, or in different places of Africa, and have found people searching for the truth and believing that God had a son even, that a book was to come and reveal the plan, that there was redemption and sacrifice. These have been seen throughout all religions, stories of judgment to come. And it says that the many, they suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Look at verse 20. This is when people say to me, well, what about this person in this faraway jungle or or this person that's unreached? And I always say back to them, first and foremost, you're not that person. (laughs) Whatever I say to you will not matter because you are given much and you will be held responsible for much. So don't use this as an excuse to not serve the God that I'm telling you about clearly now. But what about those? What about those who haven't heard? God has a plan for them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Why did they end up in those jungles, separated? Why are they there among those people groups? It's because from the time of Noah, the nations rebelled against God, and they went off in their own way after the Tower of Babel to their own language. That's why we have the different culture groups, the way that we have homogeneous to their own language and culture. And the Bible says all of them know that God has made them. And if they're not honest with themselves... They're suppressing it because they're denying it. But if they're honest with what their soul is crying out for, they'll see the God who made them, and then they can reach out to him and perhaps even be saved. Look at what it says in chapter 2. It says in verse uh, 12, all who sin apart from the law, you know, the Jews would not have, uh, only the Jews would have had the law. Uh, It says all who sin apart from the law will also perish from apart from the law. So they won't be judged on what the uh, the Jews had. They'll be judged on what they knew in their conscience. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight. So it's not just the Jews who kept hearing the law that were righteous, but it's those who actually obey the law will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature, somebody say nature, thank you, things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Not every unreached people group is eating their neighbor worshiping the tree. We have found indigenous peoples that have been doing everything as close as they could to the God of Israel. How do you think they knew that? They knew that from what God was speaking to their heart and the truth that had been passed on from the days of Noah. Is it any coincidence that every major people group on every continent has a story of a global flood? It's because they knew that's where they had come from, was from the survival of a flood. And yet we now see That if they do the things in the law, treat their neighbor as themselves, have no other gods except the one God who made heaven and earth and the God doesn't look like the tree, the monkey, or anything else, then they will be accepted. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, at other times even defending them. 
This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So can any lost people tribe or group that has not heard the gospel be saved apart from the gospel? Of course not. But can the gospel be revealed to them in bits and pieces through their conscience? And is God merciful enough to them to have that be what gets them in? Absolutely, because it's by the faith that they apply to that belief that there's someone that created them. And it's not made out of one stone or, or precious jewels. And now going with me to Acts, quickly, the God of love. Somebody say the good news and the bad news. Thank you. Going to Acts chapter 17, Paul appears before a group of pagans who for the most part were separated from the God of Israel. They didn't know much about what was going on there in Athens, starting in verse 16. And these folks are very smart and enlightened, and they have history of their beliefs and their philosophies. But there's something that Paul wants to make known to them that they haven't really understood. Look at verse 22. He saw an altar to an unknown God. They had humbled themselves to say probably there's a God that might be over all these gods that we don't know. So we want to make sure we cover our basis. And there's a whole story behind how this altar got set up. But Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said to the people, Hey, people of Athens, I see in every way you're religious, for as I walked around carefully at your objects of worship, I found even an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone, look at this, life and breath hallelujah and everything else from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land now look at verse 27 god did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us Hallelujah. And then he quotes one of their poets. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. That is the God of love. That is the God who is reaching out even now to those in unreached people groups throughout the 1040 window. Right now hidden in their homes and villages. God is reaching out to the Muslims, giving them visions of Jesus, Esau, while they're even praying to God, Allah, because they know of no other God to pray to. God is appearing to those in Hindu villages that the gospel has not reached and showing them that Jesus is not one among many, but he's the only one. These stories are documented in books. You can get them now and read them or hear about them on YouTube. And so going back to John 3.16, the good news is that he loves the whole world. I mean, that took a lot for me to get to just that point, right? But how many are convinced with what we started in the beginning? He loves the whole world. The Calvinist is incorrect. And those who try to throw it back at us towards the unreached people group, they're incorrect. God so loved the world. That's our message. He loves the world, and now you are responsible what you will do with the one he sent, his son. Are you receiving in your conscience 
the verification that this God has a son and that he is your savior and you're yearning for more, as I've said before in these stories of missionaries reaching unreached people groups saying, we heard of a God. One of our tribal leaders talked about the one and only God who had a son and that there was a book coming our way to teach us about that God. And so we make sacrifices to that God. We treat others as we want to be treated to that God's honor. Are we going to... Now use that as an excuse so that we can say, well, what about them? No, no, no. God's taking care of them. He's watching out for them. Now what about us who have heard? Are we going to allow the distractions of this world to take us away from believing in God and obeying him and being in his light? I hope not. I hope that we're not deceived by this postmodern world that wants to say, well, you believe in this and I believe in that and it's all the same. No, all beliefs are not the same. You have to believe in that which is true. Trust that which is true. If someone was to ask me today, why do you trust Jesus? Why do you put your faith in Jesus? I trust him because I know him. I know him. Before I ever studied the proofs of the resurrection, I knew that the resurrected one was speaking to my heart and life. Come on, somebody. I know some of you might have nerded out first before you became a Christian, and that's okay. You studied all the, the evidences. You went to the library like Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. Great book. I get some of you have done that. But the majority of us, how did you know Jesus was alive? Because he was speaking to your heart and conscience. How did you know he had the power to raise the dead? Because he raised up your spirit and made you a new creation. That's why you know now there's nothing to fear at death. You've been born again. Hallelujah. And why is it you go and tell the world about this faith? Is it because you want to earn more brownie points in heaven? You want more notches on your belt? No, you're like one beggar who has found bread that's telling all the other beggars, here's the bread of life. One person dying of thirst in the desert, finding the oasis, calling all the others, come, come, come. Here's the water of life. Come, here it is. That's what motivates us. That's what keeps us going. Because we're worshiping the one who loved us, gave his life for us. And now in that truth, we're drawn to more truth. In that light, we're drawn to more light. And I pray that as we grow as a church, we'll be able to express this to the world. Let's say it together in this version, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Woo, glory. Let it never get old to us. Band and altar workers, would you come? Please, and let's pray. Father, we thank you today for loving us so much that you would send Jesus for us. Jesus, we thank you for coming and loving us so much that you would lay down your life. Holy Spirit, we thank you for loving us so much that you would be sent by the Father and the Son to come live in each and every one of us and to make us new. Right now, we bless the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Thank you, God, for loving us so much. We don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it, but we will receive this gift. Right now, with every head bowed and eyes closed, an attitude of prayer, have you received 
by believing today the gift. If you have, will you begin to pray for two or three others maybe in your life that don't know Jesus yet as I pray for those who are here right now? If you're listening to my voice and you have not yet believed, it's your choice right now. Don't be distracted by this world. You've heard clearly today the gospel message. God is dealing with those in other unreached people groups. God is already helping them and reaching out to them. He's their judge and he'll do what's right. Don't be distracted by the other religions of this world, the other philosophies, the things you see on the History Channel. First and foremost, you have to believe in Jesus. We're not running from those other things. I'll help you, and by God's grace, this church will help you confront all the lies of the media and of other religions. But right now, you're not promised tomorrow. I plead with you to believe in Jesus. Believe that he came to die for you. And that it was a historical fact. He was crucified, buried, and he rose again. And now he's in heaven where he's ascended at the right hand of the Father. If you're not born again, you can pray right now a simple prayer in your own words. Father, forgive me. I've sinned. I've turned away. I haven't done what I was supposed to. I haven't believed when I was supposed to. But today I believe. So forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my backslidings. Forgive me of what I've done against your word. And now accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Say, Father, I want Jesus. And then say, Jesus, would you come and change my life? A few moments in a prayer like that can change your eternity. You won't perish. A few more moments right now. Anyone praying that prayer, you'll be welcome to come up here and to pray with one of our prayer workers or receive a discipleship book to start your new life with Christ. You can even come right now in the name of Jesus because new life is for you. Anyone else today, pray that prayer and begin to make your way up if you can. We'll dismiss in just a moment. God so loved us. God so loved us that he gave us his son few more moments right now those who already know Jesus maybe just bask in his love tell him thank you can we sing that song oh how he loves us oh how he loves us as we get ready to close he loves us if you need prayer for something going on in your life maybe you're a Christian but you needed to be reminded of his love and you just want prayer for what you're going through would you come forward we believe God loves you. You haven't failed him or disappointed him in a way that's changed his love and affection towards you. God so loves you. Even in your troubles, your trials, your mistakes, nothing has changed his love. While you're alive, there's still hope. We'll pray for you now. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, how he loves us. Just a few more times. Oh, how he loves you. He loves me. He's the God of second and third chances. He's the God who turns things around. He'll stick closer than a brother. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. the cross. He took our sins. Hallelujah. The Bible says
says he wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to him. Hallelujah. You're not destined for hell. God has made a way for heaven. at the front, please keep praying, but I'm just going to pray over us now as we get ready to dismiss, though you can stay as long as you like. Father, I thank you for the love that overcomes all evil, the love that overcomes all sin, the love that overcomes our past mistakes and failures. I just pray today that we'll be saturated in that love, that we would learn the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of that love. We would experience it even greater than what our minds can handle. We would have, oh God, intimacy with you, transformation with you. By your love, may we live this week. By your love, may we go back to our jobs. By your love, may we raise our families, have our marriages. By your love. And may we love others as you loved us. May we be quick to forgive, quick to let go of grudges and bitterness, quick to be compassionate and kind because you've done so much for us. We want to show that to others. We want to be like you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless them, saints? God bless you. Tell somebody Jesus loves them.